when my dad asked my stepmom if I could come live there full time, she said under one condition, if she was the parent, if she was the one that was in charge of disciplining me, everything. What? You're listening to the Nacho Kids Podcast, where we discuss all things step family related, real stories, real people, real help. Your hosts are the creators of the Nacho Kids Method and the Nacho Kids Academy Step Family Coaching Team, Lori and David Sims. Welcome to episode 228 of the Nacho Kids Podcast. This is going to be a fairly short intro and outro because this is a fairly lengthy podcast interview. But it is so good. If you need to break this episode up into two or three listening sessions, because you don't want to miss it. Our guest is a return guest, and today she is going to talk to us about being a stepkid versus being a stepmom. I must add a disclaimer to this episode that there is mention of abuse and suicide. Let's get to listening. Today, we have the return of the California stepmom. Hey, California stepmom, how are you? I'm good, Lori. How are you? Good. So, for those of you who have not listened to the previous podcast, we'll give you a quick rundown of her blended dynamics. Nicole, share your blended dynamics with us. Yeah. We'll be celebrating our wedding anniversary in July, our third wedding anniversary, but we've been blending for about five and a half years. I have a bio daughter that's turning 16 next week. I have a stepson that is 16 and a stepdaughter that is 14. Okay. And in that other episode, we talked about the challenges that you've had being a stepmom. Yes. And because of my experiences, you know, being a stepmom and going through all these challenges, I have been reflecting back quite a bit on my childhood and my blended family and looking at it with a completely different perspective, you know, because when you grow up as a, a, you know, in a child in a blended family, it's just all you've known. Right. And that that's just the way life is. And you just grow up and, you know, I've told the story a million times, but now telling the story, there's a whole different meaning behind it because I am now the stepmom in the story and not the child. Right. So how old were you when your parents split up? Well, before I was born, similar to uh, your son's story. But the blended family, I think to really understand my my story, we really have to start back with my mom's first marriage. Okay. She, she got married when she was pretty young. I think she was 18, 19. She was married for a few years and had my sister. So I have an older sister. She's five years older than me. They got divorced and my mom was dating my dad. They never got married. I don't believe they dated for very long. It was a short relationship. So when, you know, she announced that she was pregnant, it was kind of a surprise for both of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And he didn't necessarily feel like he needed to stick around just because of that. So he ended up moving away closer to his family about 12 hours away. It was still in the same state. So we, at the time, were living in Southern California, and he moved to Northern California. It's quite a large state, so it, it it's a distance. Um, not easy to, you know, hop over for the weekend. Right. So 
even on my birth certificate, my mom didn't even put my dad's name on it. She didn't want the government to go after him for money because uh, she was receiving government assistance at the time because she was now a single mom of two and and receiving help. And and so she chose not to put his name on my birth certificate, but she gave me his last name, which was interesting. And she wasn't, and she wasn't your traditional high conflict bio mom. She actually really wanted to keep a connection and keep him involved in my life. In fact, like it's almost the, you know, he's the one that kind of went away. He never really put in a lot of effort to mm-hmm. come and see me. He wasn't around for any of my big milestones, like my graduations. He didn't come to, he didn't come to any kind of sporting events. He really didn't try to be involved. And despite that, my mom kept in contact with him. And I think really the story goes is that she was still in love with him and he, he had moved on. Also, what I learned later in life was that he didn't tell his parents about me. He was ashamed that I was born out of wedlock and my grandparents, his parents were very traditional. And so the fact that, you know, he had a child out of marriage, he didn't want his family to know. Wow. Yeah. So I think it wasn't until I was about five years old, maybe a little older than that, that he finally came out and told his family. And my mom even, you know, drove us up there to, to meet them and get to meet some of the family members. And I think that was the first time I met my grandparents. And then as I got older, she would start to send me on a plane to go visit him in the summer. It was usually the summer. One year I did a a Christmas visit, but typically it was over the summer. I would go spend the summer with him. And since I can remember, he was with my stepmom. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if your stepmom knew about you in the beginning. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. I, I do have pictures of that that trip when we... When I met everybody and my mom drove us up there and my grandparents were there and I was pretty young and my stepmom was in the pictures. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if he kept it a secret from her, but he actually has a daughter from his first marriage, my, uh, another sister who I'm not in contact with. And because of the way we grew up, she lived with her mom and I lived with my mom. We never really got to know each other. So although she is my technically my half-sister, when I just when I talk about my family and I tell people, oh, I have four siblings, there was five of us. It's because that's the five of us that grew up together. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of hard. Like whenever I would explain my family to people, I usually I'm just kind of vague about it. I'm like, oh, there's five kids. But when people start to ask specific questions, then I have to be, oh, okay, you need to sit down. <laughs> And you gotta you have to write out a diagram to really understand the dynamics. Right. In fact, long before I ever listened to your podcast, I used to say that we were the Brady Bunch on crack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true, isn't it? I know, and it, it gets more complicated. So that was kind of how I grew up with my mom and my my half sister. So my half sister is five years older than me. 
And I never call her my half sister. I, 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 all my siblings to me are my siblings. Like I just call them my brothers and sisters Mm -hmm. for the podcast. I'll call them half or, or step just so it'll be more clear. But in my mind, they're just my brothers and sisters. And I don't, I don't know if maybe that's because I don't have any full blood siblings. Like if I had a full blood sibling, would I think of them differently? Maybe. Right. But I think because that's all I've known, that's what they are to me. Step half, they're all my siblings. Right. Yep. So eventually my mom did get into a relationship with my stepdad. And of course, I don't remember because I wasn't a baby when when all of this was happening. But it was about when I was five. So now my sister, my oldest sister's 10 and I'm five. She married my stepdad. He brought in a daughter and she was only two weeks older than me. So she, you know, she became my stepsister and basically grew up together. So as far as I remember, she's always been in my life. So my stepsister to me was always a, a sister, you right. know? Yeah. And maybe again, cause I was so young and then my stepdad and my mom had two sons which are about five years younger than us. So there's the oldest is 10. My stepsister and I are both five. And then the boys come along pretty close together, about 18 months apart. So okay. there's the the five of us. That, that makes five. Okay. So yeah. So then I had a stepdad. And and here's the thing, which is is crazy. I had a lot of resentment about my dad not being around. He never made any effort to... You know, he wasn't there to see me take my first steps and he wasn't there to teach me how to ride a bicycle. And, you know, there was always that resentment there. But the crazy thing is I just still always wanted to have a connection with him despite all of that. Right. To some people makes no sense and to some people makes perfect sense. Well, I read these stories on the Facebook pages and stuff and you have these stepmoms that are like, you know, this B, you know, BM, the, the bio mom, she's never around. She's not even in their lives. And they, you know, they pop into town once a year and the stepkids are in love and go crazy and they don't understand. And I can tell you as the stepkid, I don't understand either. It's like this strange biological connection that you can't even explain. Or maybe it's just the wanting of that ideal of having that mom and dad, you know, that the the quote, quote, normal life. Yeah. And having a loving parent and family. And even though I had my stepdad there, it was just never the same. Like he parented me. So my stepdad parented us. He, and I can say he probably treated, if I could look back as far as I remember, he treated us the same. You don't remember being treated unfairly. Nope. Nope. In fact, I think he was probably a little harsher on our brothers because partly because they were boys. Mm -hmm. So let me tell you a little bit about my stepdad. This might seem a little unreal, but he's from Oklahoma. He's very like, I guess I should say that start off with saying that he was one of 18 children. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I know. Isn't I can't even believe that's possible. So sure enough. Yeah. You know, he didn't play. (laughs) His parents were Catholic. You know, they married really young and she was basically like pregnant her whole life. So he was the second to youngest of the 18, 18 kids. But 
So they had to work hard in that, in that family and they grew up, you know, raising each other and, you know, they, they helped around the farm and the house and, and, you know, they, you know, when you have that many kids around, that's kind of, that's kind of how it is, but they were very traditional in a way, the kind of old school where he used to spank us with the belt. Mm-hmm. So that, that was the punishment. I mean, that was just normal. And so yep. when I was growing up, it was the same. Yeah. And, and, and that was what he, the punishment was. And it, and depending on the severity of the, the crime would depend on which end of the belt you got the Ooh. buckle or the other hand. Okay. So I, only, I, I only got the other end, but I got frying <laughs> pans and pink hairbrushes oh. and yeah. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and yeah, he was, you know, cowboy boots, belt, belt buckle, all that, you know, mm-hmm. so and and I do remember my brothers getting a little bit harder than he did us. In fact, I think he was probably a little bit softer on on us girls when he we got our spankings, you know. And mm-hmm. but that was just the way you know punishment was. Yeah, now it would be considered abuse. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and you know, and I never thought like, oh my god, I need to to run to the police. I'm getting abused. It was just we misbehaved, and that was the punishment. Yeah, I threatened to one time, and my mama told me that she'd help me find the phone number. <laughs> Because back then they wouldn't do anything. <laughs> I know, yeah, because yeah. it was normal. Yeah, but as we we got older, he he didn't do the 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 spankings as we got older. I mean, I couldn't remember exactly what age for to, for example, but he actually remember his his next best punishment was he would make us write sentences. <laughs> uh, we have to they have to write three hundred sentences. I will never talk back to stepdad. I will never talk back to stepdad like that. You know. Mm-hmm. So that was his punishment. So he did parent us. Do you remember anything with your mom, like feeling like he shouldn't parent you that way or having issues with how he parented you? I don't remember them ever having disagreements with with, uh, parenting. Mm -mm. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, no, yeah, you're right. I, I can't recall. And the funny thing is, so now that I'm going through this whole step parenting process and reflecting and and growing and learning and reading everyone's stories I've I've actually started to try to get more information I started asking my mom questions about it like interviewing her I'm like yeah I want her as a guest on my podcast I know but here's the thing is it's so frustrating she's like I don't remember and I don't know if it's like a PTSD where she just doesn't want to remember the trauma of the blended family (laughs) Or if you get to a point where it's been so long that you kind of forget, or, you know, maybe she purposefully is forgetting the bad stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of that would depend on her level of bad because there was a different mentality back then. And that mentality was Mm -hmm. more the man ran the home. Yeah. And And they parented each other's kids. When you were in a blended family, that's what you did. Right. Because, well, I don't know how old you are, but back in the day, we'll say... Like when I was mm-hmm. going to school, there were very few step families, mm-hmm. maybe one or two, you know, in my classes in elementary school that I remember. Yeah. Well, and like it also depends on how much involvement the other parent was. Now, my dad wasn't around, so right, he wasn't stepping on any toes because he, my dad was 12 hours away. I only saw him in the summer, so... We did act as like a nuclear family, right? And I'm I'm 43, so yeah, my mom's you know memories. She has to to think back a good 30 years of you know, and she's she's got five kids, so that's a lot of 
memories and experiences. And I, I can tell you as the middle child, my siblings were always getting into a lot more trouble than me. So she was always distracted with their shenanigans and whatnot. I kind of flew under the radar. <laughs> yeah. In fact, she told me as an adult, she, she thanked me because I always felt like I didn't get as m- much attention as my siblings because they were always, you know, getting in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, there was always that feeling like I kind of was got a, a lot less time with her. Right. And she, she thanked me as an adult. She says, thank you for being the easy one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's good. So, I don't know that my mom would have ever said that to me. Well, my stepmom thought differently. So that'll, that'll come down in the, and down later in the story, but I wasn't always the good kid, but in those years, at least I was the least of her problems. Yeah. The other ones just made you look better. Exactly. They were distracting. So mm-hmm. I, um, yeah. So my, my, let's see. So my mom and my stepdad, they ended up divorcing about when I was 15. So that's a good, good portion of my, my youth. And, you know, I was remembered since I was five till I was 15. And I remember reading some Facebook posts about people saying that dreaded comment, you're not my mom, you know, the stepkids mm-hmm. telling the, the, the stepmom, you're not my mom. And I was thinking back and I was like, oh my gosh, did I say that to my stepmom? And I didn't actually, I never recall saying that to my stepmom, but I did say that to my stepdad. And I do remember that. And I had forgotten about it until, you know, I had had read that post. And I feel terrible because I never got an opportunity to even say thank you for all the stuff that he he did for me. Unfortunately, he passed a few years back. Um, he moved back to Oklahoma and I never did see him again. Yeah. I'm sure he knows. Oh yeah. It's a lot. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's thinking back. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I wish I could call him up and say, sorry, I didn't appreciate all the stuff that you did, you know? Yep. And that's what I think people need to realize is the kids may never say it. But that doesn't mean they don't feel it. Yeah, and I and I think about it too, like from the perspective of this, as the step kid, is we're very as step kids or as children, we're very what's the word I'm looking for? Selfish. It's very internal. We're thinking about ourselves. We're not thinking about what our parents are going through and how they feel. Like mm-hmm. I told my mom the last time we had a conversation about it. And I talked to her a lot about my struggles as being a step-parent. And I told her, I was like, oh my gosh, I never even thought about the fact that you were going through a divorce and how difficult that was for you and what that must have felt like. Because going through a divorce myself, now I'm like, oh my gosh, it's 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 one of the worst things that you have to go through. They say it's equivalent to losing a family member. Like it's like a death. It is. And they also say that, like for every year that you were married, you need to make that six months or something before you get another serious relationship. Mm-hmm. It might be longer than that. I can't remember. Anyway, go ahead. But I, but that's kind of what led to, led to the divorce. Is I remember as I was getting older. Now think about this. So I was like fifteen. So right. So we're talking about preteen, early teens, attitude, all that stuff. And I was the easy one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
And I do remember we started butting heads. My stepfather and I started butting heads. And I can't even tell you if I can remember specifically what it was. And maybe it was just the fact that he was telling me what to do. And you use it, or as a stepkid, I, you know, I said, well, you're not my dad. Because basically just out of defiance, not to hurt him, but just basically saying, like, you can't tell me what to do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, like, you don't have that power. Even though he, as a parent, he does, but I don't know. It's just kind of a defense or some kind of defense mechanism. Right. It's, and it's true. It, yeah, and it's true. Yeah, and it's something that by a kid saying that, they're feeling like they can take some of that power away from you that you feel like you mm-hmm. have. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe that's what it was, exactly. And that's the thing is we were, I remember there was a lot of tension and there was issues going on in the house and that probably was the impending divorce that I didn't really know about. And then eventually my mom, I remember one day we, my stepdad and I got in a fight over something and she pulled me aside and she says, don't worry. Just so you know, we're getting a divorce. It's going to be over soon. And in my mind, I was like, okay, great. You know? And I just walked away, you know, like not even considering the pain and suffering my mom was potentially going through, you know, or the mm-hmm. fact that their, their marriage was ending. And, and I apologized to her about that and was like, oh my gosh, I feel terrible. And she says, you know, the marriage was over before, long before that it was heading in a, in a bad direction. He was going in a really bad direction. I believe, you know, he, was having issues with unemployment. And I think he, you know, like it was just, it was, that happens a lot with marriages. It's usually over before it's over. Right. You know? Right. So, and she even admitted to me when we had this conversation that she stayed married to him longer than she was planning on because of my stepdaughter or my stepdaughter, not my stepdaughter, her stepdaughter, my sister, my stepsister, her stepdaughter. So the story goes, and it's kind of more interesting that I'm older and I'm actually questioning it because at the time when I was younger, I wasn't really paying attention to the issues that were going on with my stepsister's mom. Now she was high conflict bio mom. Like I'm talking altercations in the front yard with police being called high conflict. And I was completely unaware. They were pretty good at hiding it from us. And I was pretty young, but I I guess my stepsister's mom had a lot of issues with drugs and alcohol. She was not taking care of my stepsister and she would take her to like parties and really inappropriate, you know, behavior. So my, my mom helped my stepdad fight for custody So they were able to go to court and they, you know, tons of evidence of her, you know, being arrested and drug abuse and, and, and all of that. So they were able to get full custody of my stepsister. So she lived with us full time. Good. And that was like the times where, you know, her, the bio mom would show up on the lawn and like, give me back my child, you know, that kind of behavior. So, but my mom was always like very willing to keep in contact with her family. So she stayed in contact, my, my stepdad and my mom stayed in contact with bio mom's parents. So they didn't live too far away. I think it was about an hour and a half drive. And so my stepsister would actually do visits with grandparents. She would go for the weekend and, and they spoiled the crap out of her. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, of course, probably a lot of guilty grandparenting syndrome. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because when we talk about like treating the kids the same, I can tell you as the bio kid, my mom treated my stepdaughter, my stepdaughter, I keep saying that, my stepsister, like if I couldn't tell the difference, if if you could ask me, like they, she treated us like twins because, you know, we're only two weeks apart in age. So right. we grew up together living like twins. Like they would buy us clothes, the same outfits, but different colors or like for Christmas we would get the same exact thing, but a different color. Like I remember when we got our boom boxes, you know, mm-hmm. for Christmas and mine was black and hers was red. And then we'd get bicycles and hers was purple and mine was pink. So I never felt like there was a difference. And now I don't know. I'm, I haven't asked my stepsister if she felt like she was treated differently as the stepchild, but in my mind, it, it, I didn't see a difference. And I felt like my mom loved her like her own. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think my stepsister might have even been more spoiled from than I was. Like she would come back from her grandparents with all kinds of clothes and new stuff and toys and, and things. So I think she almost had more things than I did, you know. Well, and here's a good point. And your mom, if she doesn't remember, she probably doesn't remember this. But did it bother her when your sister came back with all this stuff? Because you I didn't get any of it. It wasn't quote, quote, fair. No, I think my mom felt bad for her too, because I think they all felt bad for her because of her mom, her bio mom, you know, was so messed up and she didn't have her in her life. And I think my mom was okay with, with her, you know, getting that attention and, and kind of to make up for the the loss of, of having a a good mom. Mm -hmm. With you saying that, it makes me think. There are so many more blended families or step families, even if they're not married, than people realize. Mm-hmm. And if all of these people feel bad about the family not being together, she doesn't have her mom, he doesn't have his dad, whatever it may be, and we parent out of guilt. Mm-hmm. That's why kids are the way they are right now, mm-hmm. because you've got so many parents that don't want a parent because they don't want the kid to say, well, I'll go live with my other parent, or mm-hmm. the bio parents passed away and there's the guilt from that, or just the fact that it's not a nuclear family. So all this guilt has maybe made us more lack in our parenting versus how you and I were raised. Hmm. Yeah, like I think my mom actually had guilty parenting syndrome for her stepdaughter. Yeah, like my, my stepsister because she they did feel guilty. Right. Yeah. Okay, go ahead with your story. Yeah. So. Yeah. So the divorce. My mom. So this is a conversation I had recently with her about it because you know I've been bringing it up and trying to get more information, and she said that. told me a funny part of not funny, but an interesting part of the the divorce. And she told my stepsister, she says, I just want you to know that I'm going to pretend that I don't care about you. She's like, I'm going, you know, it's not true. I love you. I, I, you know, adore you. I want you to stay with us, but I'm going to pretend that I don't want you. So when they went through the divorce and my stepdad said, which was my mom's worst fear. I'm going to take stepdaughter with me. Mm -hmm. 
And when my mom said, okay, I know I can't do anything about it. Right. Then he dropped it. In fact, he ended up leaving and he didn't have the means to take care of her. So he ended up, I think ended up in a trailer or something where there was no way stepdaughter, you know, his step, my stepsister could go, go live with him. So she actually ended up staying with us after the divorce. So, you know, you always say like, yeah, you always say like the step parents are ridiculous if they think they're going to have visiting time with the the stepkids after the divorce. Well, you proved me wrong on that one. That was the one exception. But here's the thing is he, I think he was getting into some really bad stuff like drugs and he was unemployed and it just wasn't a, a good situation. And that was the thing that was the catalyst for the divorce, but also I think he was a good person and he knew that it wasn't a good environment for his daughter right? and that my mom was a good parent. She cared about her. She had a good job. She was able to take care of her. She was you know, not into drugs or alcohol or any of that stuff. So he did the right thing. And I think when he said I w- he was going to take her, it was just mainly to hurt her, you know, in the right. divorce, hurt her mom in the divorce. So yeah, the one exception was, and in, in sure enough, so they, they divorced, he moved out and stepsister stayed with us. So it was my mom with us, five kids by herself. Oh my goodness. I know. And, and, and what been, year is this basically? So I'm 15 now. So 1995. Okay. Just wanted to put that in perspective. Yeah, exactly. 1995. So they were married for about 10 years. So she came into... My my stepsister came into my life when I was about five, and so we're the same age. And then uh, around 15 years old is when they divorced. And when my mom was a single mom, when it was just me and my older sister, she needed financial help. So she was on some government assistance, but she worked really hard and put herself through college and got got into computers. And back then, that was a new and up. Up- upcoming thing, right? It wasn't, people didn't have computers in their homes back then, <laughs> believe it or not, mm-hmm. uh, back in the olden days. So she ended up getting really lucky and going into a field and a career that was be- ended up being very successful. So by the time, you know, we were 15, she was making really good money and doing well for herself. And she was able to support us five kids by herself, but that's still a household with five kids. That's awesome. I'm proud of your mama. And she's working full time and we were all trouble. I I say like, we, we, I don't know how she did it. And we, I thank her every day. I'm like, Oh my God, I have one child, one. Mm -hmm. And I tell her, I'm like, I have no idea how you did that. So She's she's a pretty amazing woman, and not to say that she was perfect and and she has her faults, but you know yeah. I definitely give her cre- credit for that. Yeah, I think she's pretty awesome. She is, and and so at that time around when I was fifteen, she got a job opportunity up further north in California, which was a good eight hour distance. So it wasn't in you know a weekend getaway. I could go back to see my friends. So it was pretty traumatic for all of us. And she was doing what she thought was the best. It was a good opportunity for her career. So she moved us eight hours away to uh, Northern California. And as a 15 year old, I was a freshman in high school. I had a boyfriend. I had all my friends. It was traumatic for me. It was like, 
very difficult for all of us. And the only people that I knew now in this new town was my stepsister and my older sister. So now my older sister's five years older than us. So she's 20, still living at home. So I started hanging out with them. Well, my stepsister and my sister, my half sister were a little bit more of partiers than I was. I was kind of a goody two shoes, but so I started hanging out with them and, and, uh, they were the ones that took me out drinking for the first time. And we came home drunk one night. And, you know, of course, our mom was pretty upset about it. And there was a big blowout. And I was bitter and angry because I had to be, you know, moved away from my friends and everything that I knew. So I did the ultimate thing, the, the thing that we all fear. Mm-hmm. I said, I want to go live with my dad. Yep. Yeah. I think a parent's a parent's worst fear, right? Yes, ma'am. Yes. I have felt guilty about that for a long time. And I, I told my mom this a couple of weeks ago and I said, it's my biggest fear as a as a divorced parent. And uh I think about it all the time. And she actually said something to me. She's like, you know what? She said, I wasn't I wasn't upset about it when you did that. She said there was a lot of stuff going on. She was ha- struggling with all of us kids and, you know, having the, f- being a single parent with five of us. And I wasn't the only one causing trouble. So mm-hmm. she was like, you know, she thought maybe it would be good for me and that she wasn't really mad about it. So did you go? So I went. Wow. Wait a minute. Cause I'm thinking that you just said it because you were annoyed and hurt and all that stuff and that you didn't even mean it. So you're right. I'll tell you what happened. So my stepsister and I made a pact. She said, if you tell her you're going to move back with your dad, then I'll tell her I'm going to move back with my dad. And so when I was sitting at the Greyhound bus station, as we were sending my stepsister back down to Southern California, I said, oh, crap. I now have to follow through with my end of the bargain. I have to go live with my dad. Because you made that pact with stepsister? Yeah. Yeah. I felt like I had to follow through with what I had said because (laughs) we made a deal. And so. That's so sweet. Here's the thing too is, is I didn't know anyone where we were. I didn't have any friends. I was alone. My sister just went back to Southern California. You know, my older sister is like moving out onto her own and I didn't have any, I didn't know anyone. And it was like starting fresh. I didn't. So it wasn't like I was leaving anything behind. I mean, my my mom, my brothers. So I was like, Oh, well, I have to start over somewhere. I'll just go up and live with my dad and get to know him. Okay. So, yeah, so I guess there was a conversation between my mom and my dad, and he agreed, and we packed up my stuff, and I, and then I see at the time, so even though I, we lived in Northern California, he lived even further Northern California, so it was, it's a good, um, I'd say another eight hours north. Okay. Good Lord, California's long. You know, it's big. It's a big state. You don't believe, it could be like four states, so. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So how old are you at this point? So this is about 15. Okay. This all happened when I was 15. Yeah. So okay. my mom and my stepdad divorced. She got a job opportunity in Northern California. We moved 
And we only, I was only there for two months in that, that city when this all happened. And I said, I'm going to go live with my dad. Okay. So my freshman year of high school. Yeah. So, and I kind of, I was scared. I didn't really want to do it, but I was just like, okay, I made this pact. Let's do it. And even though my dad didn't put any effort, any effort at all in being involved in my life, I still wanted to get to know him. Isn't that crazy? Mm -hmm. And yeah, he never came down and visited me in Southern California. Like he never was at anything. My mom, like I said, my mom would send me for the summer. So I got kind of got to get to know him a little bit. You knew him. It wasn't a complete stranger. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I spent time with him, but even when I was visiting in the summer, he was always working. So, you know, when he was at work, they would send me to go stay with my aunt, his sister, and she had two kids. So my aunt had, I had two cousins. They were similar age. One was a little bit older. One was a little bit younger. So I spent a lot of time with my cousins and not really a lot of time with my dad, but we did do stuff. We would like go to the county fair and we'd go fishing. He taught me how to fish and we would go swimming in the river. And, and I remember too, it was so strange. Like when I would get on the plane to leave, to go to my dad's, I would cry because I was going to miss my mom. Right. And then when I would get on the plane to leave my dad's, to go back to my mom's, I would cry because I was going to miss my dad. Right. And it's so hard because a lot of, and I'm actually in a bio mom group on Facebook, which I don't comment a lot because it's really hard to hear these bio moms who are like, well, my kids say they don't want to go back to their dads and I don't want to make them. And I'm like, here's the thing is the kids are torn between wanting to be with their dad and their mom. They want to be with both. Mm -hmm. So when they say those things to the bio mom, like, you know, I miss you. I don't want to go. It's true, but that doesn't mean that they shouldn't see their dad. Right. Because they miss their dad too. And they're probably saying the same thing to dad. Mm -hmm. And it's not that they're lying. It's that they really do. They get torn between the two. And I remember that conversation with my stepkids when my stepdaughter, she said her mom was basically put them on the spot and like wanted them to choose who, you know, who they would want to be with more. And I was like, and she, and she said, I want to be with you both. Yeah. Right. And it's hard for kids. And we forget that we get so wrapped up in all this stepmom stuff of the kids aren't listening. The bio mom's intrusive, all this stuff. And it's easy to forget that these kids are struggling too. Yeah. I think once you get to that point, that it's part of the nacho process. Once Mm -hmm. you get to that point where you can see how other people were hurt and struggling in the blend and that it's not all about you and letting go of the things that you can't control, that's where that peace is. Mm -hmm. Not taking it personal. That's a huge one. Yeah. Yeah. I know I have a hard time with my, my, my step, my stepkids have really strong loyalty bonds to their, their mom. And, and so they have to pretend like they don't care about me or they feel like they're not allowed to. And, and like when we're at public events or, you know, stepkid events, they ignore me. They have to pretend like, you know, that they don't care because they're trying to protect her feelings. Yeah. 
David's kids did that. Oh, yeah. It's so sad that we put the kids in that position, you know? Well, recently my son graduated, and Mm -hmm. I have always told him if he's ever at any event, because I know his dad and I will not sit together. Mm -hmm. If he is at any event, then he he can go straight to his dad. Mm -hmm. I'm good. Go to your dad. Mm -hmm. Because I don't want him to feel that way. I don't want him to feel like he has to make a choice. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing about my mom. So she, and this is going to really explain a lot on how I came into my blend. I wanted to be like my mom. Like she always encouraged a relationship with us and our, and our fathers. Like she made sure that we were still in contact with them. She knew that having a relationship was important. She treated my stepsister like her own. So this is exactly why when I became a step parent, I thought I knew what I was getting into. I thought I needed to to become in and and be the parent. Mm -hmm. And the thing is I laugh now because when I was thinking about how I wanted to step parent, I only thought about my mom. What I didn't think about was my stepmom and how I didn't want to step parent. And so that's where the next part of the story changes dramatically because I go from living with my mom most of my life to now I move in with my dad and my stepmom. I'm an only child. I went from being one of five to an only child. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that there was a conversation that was had prior to me moving in with them. I was told later when I was older that when my dad asked my stepmom if I could come live there full time, she said under one condition, if she was the parent, if she was the one that was in charge of disciplining me, everything. What? That was the deal. She said if, if in order for me to go live there, she was she made the rules. It was her house, her rules. Okay. Yes. So I move freshman. I'm halfway through my freshman year of high school. I just came from being one of five, used to like fly under the radar, could do whatever I wanted. I had, I actually got, I was AP classes. I had got really good grades. I was an honor student and, and I, so I, I I moved in with them and that's when things kind of went downhill for me. At first though, things were good. So I kind of liked being an only child. I got all the attention which is good in one way because I got all the attention, but then everything I did was under a microscope. Right. All right. So now there's no other kids around. So everything I did stood out and like my relationship with my stepmom was good at first. She liked having a girl around. She had two boys. So I have two stepbrothers from her, but they were quite a bit older than me. So again, I don't have a relationship with them. So I don't really, when I say I have, you know, four siblings, I'm not counting them because I've only like met them twice in my entire life, but they were much older and had grown. And I think that's why my stepmom felt like she could be the parent because she had raised two boys already and my dad hadn't, you know, so Mm -hmm. she thought she knew better, but she loved it. She would take me clothes shopping and, you know, do the girly things. And we did a lot together. And I, and I confide in her and we'd kind of like eat bonbons and laugh and, and joke around and, and things were good at first. We had a good relationship. And then I 
started to get more into trouble. I wasn't doing as well in school and I got into some friend groups. And I think the big thing for, for that age, now that I'm trying to reflect is that it becomes more about your friends and your social life. And that was my priority was getting to know people. And I was starting to make friends. I was new in town. I made a little friend group, but what was happening was my stepmom had certain expectations of me. I was supposed to come home directly from school. I needed to clean the house, get my homework done and start getting dinner ready mm-hmm. where my friend, my friends didn't have those same responsibilities. My friends would walk from the school. They'd go hang out at the park. Then they'd go and like to the nearby coffee shop. And, you know, then they'd walk home together. And, and my stepmom would say to me, well, once you get all your chores done, then you can go and hang out with them. But by then it was dark, you know, and then it's nighttime and everyone's home having dinner with their family. Mm-hmm. So I was missing out on having that social time. And so The fact that, and and my friends, they gave me a nickname. They called me Cinderella. Oh, (laughs) I get it. I had to come home and clean the house and get dinner ready. Like, that's what her expectations were for me. And my dad was very, like, traditional, too. And I remember one time when I first moved out there, he said that I needed to learn how to sew and cook and clean to be a good wife. Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, very traditional. Yeah. Very traditional. In fact, like my dad would come home from work and he would sit in his recliner chair and my stepmom would fill up his plate of food and serve it to him. Like it was, you know, she was responsible for the the womanly duties, you know, the sewing and the yeah. cooking and the cleaning and he would chop wood and go to work and, you know, the breadwinner. Even though she worked, she actually worked too. She worked full time. Right. So, but that's what they were expecting of me. So now I come from a mom who is independent, single woman, very, you know, feminist-ish, you know, successful businesswoman. And and then I go to this where this lifestyle where I'm supposed to be the stay-at-home mom that cooks and cleans. And I was like very, hey, I'm 15 years old. By 15, the kids are who they're gonna be. We've got our personalities are kind of set, and they were trying to mold me into something else. So of course I was resistant. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to hang out with my friends and everyone else was hanging out and I was at home cooking and cleaning. Yep. So I started sneaking out of the house because mm-hmm. my friends were off going to parties and doing stuff and I wanted to do parties. And then I started lying and I would tell my my parents that I was going to the school, a school event or something. If there was like a dance or and, and instead of going to the dance, I'd go hang out with my friends. Mm-hmm. So that that became like that was my priority. So my and my grades started dropping. I wasn't doing well in school, and I mean, I'm not saying that my parents were at fault at all because I was definitely doing things I wasn't supposed to be doing. Right, but that but, was your reaction um, to how things were in the home that you missed out on that time, and you were going to make it up. <laughs> yeah, and I was grounded all the time because then, yeah. like one one night, I came home late from the county fair and. And I got grounded and it wasn't like I was grounded for a week. She would ground me for months. That was months. my mama. Yeah, months. So I I felt like I had no social life. I had nothing. She was really strict on me. And so I not I you know, it's like putting a bird in the cage. As soon as you open the door, you go, ah, I'm going crazy. So and, <laughs> yep. and my, 
then and my boy so then I ended up with a boyfriend I had a serious boyfriend you know for the last for for most of my high school time and he lived a couple houses down from me so I would sneak out my window and go hang out his house and we would just be doing silly stuff like playing cards or uno you know Mm -hmm. and one, one time I accidentally fell asleep and forgot to sneak back home <laughs> and I woke up and I was like, Oh crap, I'm going to be in big trouble. And I knew it. So I walked home up the stairs to the front door and opened the door. And there was my stepmom. My dad had already left for work earlier. You know, he left before I got up for school, but my stepmom was there. And of course I, just like I knew I'd get in trouble and she slapped me across the face so hard. I got a bloody nose. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was the only time she ever hit me, but you know, of course, and I was grounded for even longer. So I feel like my whole, my entire high school life, I was grounded, Yeah, (laughs) you know, always. Yeah. My mom would do the same thing. When I was 18, I could go out one night a weekend and I had to be home by 10 and I could not go out during the week. 10. My curfew was like eight. And that was actually one of the last straws was she kept telling me, well, when you turn 18, you'll be able to stay out as late as you want because you'll be an adult and it's different because you're underage. And finally, so I I was uh, 18. I turned 18 halfway through my senior year. So my birthday is in December. And I remember on my 18th birthday or around that, I was like, woohoo, I can stay out as late as I want now, you know? Mm-hmm. And guess what? She's like, nope you have a curfew. And I was like, wait a minute, you've been telling me all these years that when I turned 18, then I, my curfew was going to change. And now she was rede- like, she was going back on herself. She wasn't know? even giving you 10 extra minutes. No, I, I don't. It, it, at the, I think it was just the last straw for me. And I just said, I'm done. And I left. I was, I was like, I went to go stay with a, you know, a friend. And things had already been like really bad around, you know, the house. And um, I remember my dad and I, we didn't really ever get to bond. He wasn't really into anything that I wanted to do. You know, we just would kind of hang out and that kind of coexist. But he had, a, he had a problem with alcohol. And he would come, out, come home after work and he'd open up his beer can and he'd drink his beers. And and that was just his lifestyle, like what he he did he liked to do. But one night he got drunk, and my mom was my my stepmom was off, off at a bingo tournament, and he got drunk and he yelled at me and said, uh, "Sorry, you're fine." He said that I was never going to amount to anything, that I was a loser. I am so sorry. <sighs> Yeah, it was really hurtful. We got into a big fight and I don't even know what it was about. And and uh, the next morning and even the next morning, so I was, stepmom was back from her bingo tournament. And so I was telling her about the fight and what he had said and he denied it. He said, no, I didn't. I didn't, I didn't say that. And here's the thing. And I've learned now that I'm an adult and with experience is that when people are alcoholics or when they're drunk, they get to the point where they actually forget they get am- amnesia yeah and they, they really don't remember mm-hmm. and so he probably really didn't remember saying those things to me right but it obviously is 
burned into my memory. <laughs> you know, something I'll never forget. Right. It was very, very hurtful. But and I remember even my stepmom saying to me once, you know, because she was like, "You better be careful because you know if you're anything like your mom, you're gonna get pregnant by the you know on a dro- drop of a dime." You know, because mm-hmm. my mom had had five kids and. I was born out of wedlock and all that stuff. So, you know, they things weren't good. And so I finally decided that's it. I left and I had gone to go stay with a friend. Well, my stepmom called my friend's mom and threatened to call the police on me. Because when I got my a car when I was 16, the deal was my my mom and my dad and my stepmom, they were going to buy me a car. They were going to split the cost. They was like $2,000 car. You know, my mom paid $1,000. My dad paid $1,000. My mom said to me, she's like, the deal for me was that I would have to pay her back for that half. And then the deal for my dad and my stepmom was that as long as I stayed in school, that would be their gift to me. And then I got a job and I was working and paying my own gas money and my own car insurance. So... I had I had the car because I had left, went to my friend's house. I had the car. She called, threatening to call the cops to say that I stole the car, that she was going to tell the cops that I stole the car, even though it was my car. Mm-hmm. And what I didn't know as a naive or, you know, I, I didn't know as an 18-year-old, my name was on the title of the car. So her threatening to call the cops on me was... A bluff because if the cops would have come, my name was on the title. It was my car. The legally. title and the registration, probably too. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. in my name. So, but because of her threat and I believed her, I went back to the house with the car and I said, and I was like, you know, I, I, I want to move out. I want to take my things and I'm going to get my own place. I had already made arrangements. I was going to rent a room with one of my coworkers. And she said to me, she's like, no, you can't have any of your stuff. Now I'm talking about furniture that I brought from my mom's house. So this was furniture that my mom bought me that I brought when I moved with them, like my bed and my dresser and my desk and all my clothes and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And she said, unless you sign over the title to the car, you cannot take your things. I said, okay. What? I signed a yeah. So and my dad just stood and let her do this. He allowed her to do all this and didn't say anything. He just, he backed her up. So I signed over the title of my car to her. My girlfriend came with her little pickup truck. I packed up my dresser and my bed and all my stuff. And I went and I, I started renting a room. I was still in high school. I was a senior in high school. I hadn't even graduated yet. And I was working and it was, it was just so awful because they basically sweeped my feet from underneath me. Like I still had to get to work, you know, I was still trying to support myself. I had to pay rent now. I had, I'd still get myself to school. So I started, I had to ride a bicycle to work and I had to ride a bicycle to school. And I admit I barely scraped by graduating because obviously like my situation, I, you know, had really gone down the crapper. And I, and I admit I I was got myself into trouble and was making bad decisions, you know, but yeah, my mom, so my mom was pissed 
my mom paid for half that car. Right. So my mom called stepmom and said, you know, I can't believe you took, you know, her car away from her. I paid for half of that. And my stepmom says, well, we paid for her braces. I'm like, what? (laughs) So my mom's like, he didn't pay 15 years of child support. She never asked him for a dime, never paid a dime of child support. And they're going to pull, we paid for her braces. So yeah, yeah, they, they did that. And I, I was mad, you know, I was resentful and I graduated high school and my mom helped me get a new car or not new. It wasn't new, but it was a a used car. So I could Mm -hmm. have a car. And the moment I graduated high school, I moved back to the city where my mom lived. Okay. Yeah. And I cut off all contact with them because I was mad at what they did to me, you know? Do you still have no contact with them? Well, so I was 18, right? I moved back to the city where my mom was. And I was kind of that rebel phase still and partying. And I was, I was paying my rent and I was getting along, you know, along. And I started to get kind of into a mindset where I was ready to kind of mature and grow up. And I decided to go you know, to school, go back to go to college. And I met a really nice man and he was, you know, had a good career and, and he supported me while I went to school and, and I, I was getting my first degree. So I was about 20, 26 years old by this time. So I hadn't talked to them since I was 18. So good eight, eight years had gone by, you know, and I was maturing and and getting my, my stuff together. I got my degree. We were going to get married. And I finally decided that, you know, I wanted to have a relationship with my dad again. And I I wanted to mend what had happened. Mm -hmm. And I was still mad. And I was mad at my dad for letting my stepmom do that. Right. You know, yeah, but I was also mad at him because he said those things like "you're going to amount to nothing," "you're right. a loser," you know. Yeah. So I'm 26 years old, so we're talking 2006 now, and I didn't have their phone numbers because back then you didn't have cell phones, right? So right. <laughs> when you when you when you moved, you got a new number. When you mm-hmm. got a new phone, even then we had fo- you know cell phones were starting to come out and. When you got a new phone, you got a f- new phone number. You didn't take your phone number with you. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even know if they still lived at the same address. And, you know, we didn't have email. There was no email back back then, you know. So I didn't have any other way of contacting them So uh, other than write a letter. So I wrote a letter to my dad. And I explained, you know, like, I was really upset about how everything went down. And I know that I wasn't a good kid and I, I was in trouble and I did some bad things, but despite all of that, I really wanted to have a relationship with him and I'm doing really well for myself. I, you know, I met a really great man and I was graduating from college and I'm sorry. You're fine. This just shows how real all this pain is. Mm-hmm. And how it has carried with you. Yeah. And despite all of that, I, I still wanted to to get to know him and I wanted to have him in my life. And I wrote that letter because I really wanted to reach out. 
and uh, I wrote a second letter. I wrote the second letter to my aunt. So she was the one that I spent a lot of time with in the summers when we'd go to visit because he would be at work and I would be with her and, and my cousins. And when I moved away and I cut my dad out of my life, she got cut out of my life too, because, you know, I just cut all contact and I felt really bad about that. And so I wrote her a letter as well to her previous address, the address that I remembered the last, you know, telling her I was sorry and that I, I you know, I, I missed her and I, I wanted to come back and visit and get to know them again and, and all that. So I sent the letters in the mail and then I don't know how many weeks it took because, you know, mail is mail. Right. One day I got a, a sticker or it was a, there was a note on my, my front door from the police department, the local police department. And the message was that I needed to call my aunt and there was a phone number. Sorry, I'm trying to collect myself so I can tell the story. <laughs> you, you're fine. You just take as much time as you need. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I call my aunt. She must have gotten my letter because I, of course, in the letter, I put my you know address and my phone number or no, I didn't have a phone number. I guess I must have just put my address. So that's why she sent, she had called the local police department and had them come to the house to give me this message to call her. And so I called her and she goes, I'm really glad you reached out to me, but I'm I'm really sorry. I have to tell you, but your dad is dead. <laughs> I am so sorry. Yeah. He had died two days before that. He had died two days before that phone call. So apparently he hung himself in this tree in his backyard. So, you know, of course, my first thought was, oh, my God, he got my letter. And, you know, that's why he did it. Right. But that's not. No. You know, and I had a a lot of guilt. I was like, oh, my gosh, he got my letter. And this is what happened. And so I I did. I went to the funeral. Actually, she she invited me to the funeral. And I and I went and. I got to see that side of the family again and it it was really difficult, but it was kind of what I had been hoping for was to kind of reconnect with them. And so I I was able to reconnect with my cousins and my aunt and, and everything, but I I had, you know, a lot of guilt. I was like, felt like I had wrote the letter and he had read it and it was kind of what sent him over the edge. But unfortunately, or fortunately, I'm not really sure. A couple of weeks after that, I got, my letter that I had written him back in the mail. He had moved. So the letter had gone to his old address and the, the new owners had just put return to sender. And so I got my letter back in the mail. So, you know, he didn't get it. He never got it. Yeah. I don't know because then I was thinking, well, what if he would have gotten the letter and he would have. Oh yeah. Seeing I was trying to reach out maybe he wouldn't have done it, you know? Yeah. 
We don't know. I mean, no one's going to know. Yeah, you'll never know. So you get the letter back and you're going through this. Is this good? Is this bad? Yeah, right. So that's the thing is then I was like, then, of course, my mind goes the opposite direction. Like, oh, my gosh, if he would have known I was reaching out, because even though I expressed the things that hurt me at the end, I was like, I really want to have a relationship with you. So I was like, oh, what if he would have gotten it? Then he wouldn't have done it. But here's the thing is I've again, I've learned over years that people with alcohol problems and depression and when they when they do stuff like that, it's something internal within themselves that they're in so much pain that they just want to be out of pain or and or they they feel like they're actually doing everyone good. Like they think that they're a burden on their family and their friends and they they're they're not thinking about anyone else as I mean their mind isn't sound. Yeah, I mean, it's not that they're not thinking about anyone else. They are thinking about everyone else. They think that that we're going to be better off without them, you know. Yeah. And was he still with stepmom at the time? And they were. They were still still married, still together. And, and went, I and I, you went to the funeral. Yeah, I, I did, and and I had a conversation with her, and it was very like, it wasn't very, it wasn't a very personal conversation. It was just like, kind of fake catching up like oh you know I graduated from college and I'm I did this and that and you know it was just a short conversation and 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 really after that we didn't keep in contact at all in fact about two years ago or maybe it was like a year and a half ago I got another call from my aunt that my stepmom had died and I did not go to that funeral right yeah and was that the right thing? I don't, I don't, I don't know, but there were, I've, you know, it's been 16 years now since, since my, my dad's death and I've had a lot of time and I've been through therapy and, you know, dealing with it, which is funny, like telling it, I still get so choked up and emotional. Like I've worked through a lot of it, but you know, the, the, the feelings are still there. And I think it's going a traumatic the, experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then going through the step mom experience is really bringing up a lot of my past. You know, I'm starting to reflect, like, for example, my, my daughter is learning how to drive. So I'm, I'm teaching her how to drive. And I started to think back. I'm like, oh my gosh, it was my stepmom. My stepmom was the person that taught me how to drive. Mm-hmm. I was so focused on my hate and anger towards her for what bad things she's did to me. I wasn't ever thinking about all the good things she did. Right. And I think that's what happens a lot in these parents. Like I, I read these posts on Facebook and, 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 you know, we don't, like you say a lot with the Nacho Kids method about how we always focus on the negative. That's all you're going to see. And that's exactly what I was always focusing on with my stepmom was all the bad things she said to me. I never thought about all the good things. Yeah. Until it was too late. Well, here's the thing is even though, yeah, I was, I'm still mad about what she did. I mean, I actually have kind of gotten over it. It's just, it is what it is, but yeah, but still, yeah. Yeah. When <laughs> that was a big thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it was just a car. It wasn't, a, but I like, I can't tell you how many times I've thought about my stepmom's cooking. I wish I could give her a call and say, Hey, you know, do you have that recipe of that one dish that you used to always make? She was an excellent cook. Always been a really really good cook. And she, she tried to teach me and I never really, I'm more like my mom, my mom and I, 
I hate cooking. I'm like you. I hate cooking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was never really good at it. My mom was never really good at it. It was the one thing my stepmom was really good at. And I don't know. I guess I wish I could call her up and say thank you for the the good things of, that she did for me. And I guess this is why I wanted to be on the podcast and tell my story was that there's a lot of step-parents in the Facebook groups and or just even that aren't even in groups that you know, are upset because they, they never get a thank you. They don't get appreciation for all the things they did. In fact, there was one post I just read about a stepdad who helped plan graduation party for his stepdaughter and planned everything, helped decorate, paid for stuff. And then when it came to the the party, he got a zero thanks, didn't get to take one picture with the, with, with the stepdaughter and no appreciation at all. And People will respond and be like, oh, well, they'll, she'll appreciate you one day. Well, my step-parents never got that because I didn't figure it out until, you know, 30 years later. And, and even if I, if they were alive and I could say thank you, it's, they had to wait 30 years for, for a thank you. And, and, that, and that's really sad and almost in a way that I think we need to, as step-parents, understand that you may not ever get that thank you. Yeah. And that appreciation. And, and as the stepkid, I want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you guys don't get the appreciation and you never get the thank you. In fact, I'm going to say thank you for them. As a stepkid, I want to say thank you to all you step parents and everything that you do, you know? Yes. Because you're probably not going to hear it from your stepkids. So I'm sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the same with bio kids and bio parents. My mom passed away and we didn't have the best relationship as everybody that's listened to this has heard that there was a lot of guilt and regret when she died because I didn't tell her thank you for the good because there was a lot of bad. Yeah. But when I was sick, she was the person I called because she would pray for me. And when she died, I remember thinking, Who's going to pray for me now? Mm-hmm. And it sucks. We need to really change our thinking. And I'm not trying to promote the change your thinking in the academy, but there is something about focusing on the positive. Mm-hmm. It's not easy to do, but it's so imperative to our well-being. Like with you, your stepmom punished you. She was mean to you. She was hateful. But you still have found it in your heart to want to tell her thank you because mm-hmm. you have been able to let that good come through. And I give that thanks to you because without the Nacho Kid method, I would have never gone through this process of really changing. And that's really was for me. I don't, I don't have issues with parenting my stepkids, you know, they're older, but I have more, more of my journey has been about changing my perspective and trying to be more positive and looking at the positive things. And I realized that my stepmom was only doing what she thought was best. You know, she thought, you know, and I, and same thing with these, these other step parents on there, like, I can't believe you know, I would take their car away or I'm not, I would never let them move back in or, you know, like 
Yeah. Those are the things that she did because she thought that was, you know, I was this bad kid and I, I shouldn't have that car. Why would they, they, you know, let me have that privilege or, and it got me thinking a lot too about unconditional love. Like, I think that's why bio parents have that unconditional love for their kids. Cause even if no matter what they do, like you literally have like kids that commit crimes and their parents will always stand behind them. You know, it's like, no matter how bad they are, what they get into, they're always going to love them and they always support them. Right. You know, like, yeah, I've seen a guy that killed his whole family and some people were saying, how could their, his parents still stand behind him? And I'm thinking you must not be a parent. Yeah. And that's the thing is I have to think back, like if my mom wouldn't have had that unconditional love for me and supported me, I would have, who knows where I would have been. But even when I was at my deepest, darkest place and doing not so great things, like she was still there no matter what to support me. And if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have become the person I am now. And I can tell you, like, I'm successful. I have a second degree. I have an excellent career. You are very well spoken and tell great storylines. I have, you know, I have a house and, you know, it's all these things. Like if, if my dad and my stepmom could see me now, like back then I probably looked like I was going to be in jail and, and, you know, on, in the gutters. So. And see, can I interrupt you one second? I'm sorry. I hate to do that, but you don't know how many, well you do because you're in the groups and you're active, but so many stepmoms are convinced or not just stepmoms, so many step parents are convinced that these step kids are going to grow up and be useless. Mm-hmm. And I am proof. Right. That, and that, God forbid, don't true. tell them that even if you think it. Well, and, and my dad told me that. I know. Said, well, That's I'm why I said that. Anything. And here's the thing is he was my bio parent. Now, I know. Even worse. So. That's what I'm saying is with all you step parents listening, like your kids might be disasters. They might be doing drugs. They might be drinking, partying, not failing out of school. Like you as, and as a bio parent, like you always hold out hope, always hold out hope that they can do better because I'm proof. Like that was me. I was that terrible step kid and I came out of it. I'm actually now like a, normal member of society. <laughs> right. You're not 40 years old, still living with stepmom and dad and playing computers and selling dope out the, ba- out the basement. Yeah. And it wasn't, and maybe them taking the car for me. I mean, they didn't kick me out because I moved out, but like, I don't know, maybe that did inspire me, but I think there was a lot of low points. I could have, you know, gone in different directions, but I chose to, I, you know, I think we just need to hold, constantly support our kids no matter what they're going through the best that we can and definitely don't tell them that they're never going to amount to anything please (laughs) right and remember that they too have gone through a lot Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well california stepmom i can't thank you enough for sharing this story with us because there's so much wisdom and insight and awesome advice and revelations that you have went through from being a stepchild to a stepmom. You have been able to see this from every angle. Mm -hmm. And I love your heart 
because you're wanting to tell people thank you for what they have done for you in your life. Mm-hmm. And that means a lot. Many people, even our age, don't feel like they need to tell their parents thank you for something or their step parents. This is awesome because, like you said, to recap, it's kind of like you see in the Facebook groups that the step parents thinking, why are they so excited and want to see their mom or their dad? They're a piece of crap. They don't pay child support. They hadn't contacted them in six years, but they are so excited to go see this parent. And they <laughs> ache for that connection with the bio parent. Yeah. That's the part that's missing is the step parent can't see that child's heart is aching for a connection with their bio parent. Mm-hmm. And then how the impact of words. I try to teach my son the power of our words. Your story shows us the power of those words that your dad said 20-something years ago. Mm-hmm. And he can't take it back. But it didn't stop you from wanting a relationship with him. Yeah. I have one last message that I wanted to say, and I thought about this, if you don't mind. I don't mind at all. Okay. I was I was thinking about this because I think this might be important, but my 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 sister, my older sister, I told you about, she's my half-sister, five years older than me. She had a very difficult relationship with her dad as well. There was a long period where they were estranged, but she had a really rough relationship. And that's a whole nother story. But anyways, she had a really rough, rough relationship with her father to the point where they were estranged for a long time. After my dad died and she was there to see what I had gone through, she reached out to her dad and they reconnected and they now have a very, very close relationship And she tells me all the time, she said, if it wasn't for you and what you went through, I would have never thought to do that. Right. My message is that if anyone has an estranged relationship with anyone, a a family member, a parent, a friend, a friend, you never know when that person's going to be gone. And you may not ever, ever get that opportunity to say thank you or say I'm sorry. You know, my daughter will never get to, you know, get to know her grandpa. I'm never going to be able to sit down and have a beer with him, you know, and yeah. laugh or watch his favorite sports team. So I'm saying, you know, life is short. And if you can get past the hurt and start to heal, please reach out to that person, find forgiveness because you never know if you're never going to see them again. Right. Yep. And that's that's so true. David's dad, actually, this past Sunday, we had to call an ambulance. He got sick and within five, 10 minutes, I guess, max, he was unresponsive. And things can happen in a split second. And a lot of times, if you've ever listened to me on the podcast or especially in the academy, I will say when something upsets you, take it to the opposites to extremes. So look at that situation and say, on a scale of one to 10, how bad is this? You got a phone call that your power bill 
was late, you mailed it on time, and so there's a $25 fee, and it just ticks you off, right? Mm-hmm. And then you come home, and the stepkid has poked a hole in your favorite couch. <laughs> so you're about, you're ripe. <laughs> you're ripe for the picking. You're about to flip <laughs> out, right? Yeah. Stop for one second and think about those people that are willing their child or their stepkid or their husband or their mom into a house for hospice to come in. Yeah. And I know that sounds crazy, but why would we give so much attention to those little things when they don't need that emotional weight that we give them? Yeah. And again, I know that's extremes, but it helps me rebalance. Thank you for the reminder. I, my husband, you know, did something yesterday that really hurt my feelings and I've been feeling kind of down about it. And uh, it's been really on my mind a lot. And I, I think it's a good reminder that I should look at it in a different weight and decide, okay, this happened. I can be sad about it, but really in the big picture, what does it matter? What if I don't see him tomorrow? You know, what if he doesn't come home one day? Right. Well, I regret not being mad at him or, you know, not saying I love him or hugging him goodbye. Right. Yep. I always like listening to you and I, I tell you, I, I listen to your podcast on repeat because I feel like every time I listen to an episode, I hear something new and it, it you know, relates to me in a different way each time. And I look forward to your podcast every Friday to get a new one. And it's just, it, again, it's just feeding yourself that positivity and reminding yourself you've got, it's, it's constant work to keep training your mind to stop going directly to the negative. Right. Which is the auto response. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's what it's going to do until you train your mind to do something different. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes a snowball effect because then I'm like, oh, he did this. And oh, he, you know, he doesn't mm-hmm. care about me. Oh, like, you know, he never puts me first. And, <laughs> yep. Yep. and then it's a cycle. And I'm like, why should I even care? And I need to stop. Right. Stop the negative thoughts. Yep. Stop those it ants. right there. Yes. Stop those ants right there. Stamp, stomp on him. Yep, stomp on him. <laughs> Jump up and down and scream, I'm killing dance. <laughs> exactly. You're going to do that in a store one day. They're going to call the cops. <laughs> I know, right? You're going to think I'm crazy. But it's true. That's why I think I really enjoyed doing the Change Your Stinking Thinking Challenge because it really makes you think. It helps you to not be reactive to things, but to respond And my life is so much calmer. I really think, say, I don't know, my life expectancy was 20 years. I added at least five more learning how to do this. It's it's true. The cortisol that you produce when you're stressed is what kills you. It's, you know, inflammatory response. That's what. Yeah. I'm sorry that it hurt you. And I'm sorry that all that happened. But I do believe that you are one heck of a person because of these situations that you went through with your dad and your stepmom and your dad not stepping in and stopping your stepmom and all that stuff. It makes us who we are. And I think that's why it makes you more appreciative too. Definitely. I know, like, I even thought about that a lot. Like, 
all the things that I went through, like I can be like, Oh, my life was hard and this and that. But if I hadn't experienced those things, I wouldn't be the person that I am now. So it's not that I'm regret going to live with my dad. And I don't, you know, regret those choices that I made because otherwise I wouldn't have learned those lessons in life. Right. Yep. And it made you who you are. And exactly. And if we don't have those hard times, then we don't appreciate the good times. Exactly. David says all the time that he's glad that my previous relationships were so crappy because it makes him look really good. (laughs) And y'all can hear David saying that, I know. Oh, yeah. Well, he has that confidence. Yes, 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 yes. That explains all my issues with him. Well, thank you again and stay in touch. Yes, thanks, Lori. I cannot thank California Stepmom enough for sharing her story with us. Our journeys aren't always easy, and it's hard to remember them. It's painful. But we do that in hopes that sharing our experiences and our journey and our pain help others to have a little better journey. Join us next week, and remember, life is good. When you nacho. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nacho Kids Podcast. Find us online at nachokids.com. Until next time, remember, life is good when you nacho.